on behalf of the Stolzfus family, welcome. And uh, from the rest of us to the Stolzfus family, our condolences. We are praying for you. Uh, we care about you. And uh, we are so grateful that Miriam is in a better place. <clears throat> Let's pause for a word of prayer. Lord, you are king of kings. You are king above all of the kings. You are Lord above all of the lords. We, we humbly bow before you this morning and we recognize our need of you. Thank you for bearing our sin on the cross. You died for us, but you are not dead. You are risen. You are in the presence of God, and you're representing us to the Father. You are not dead. You are not the God of the dead. You are the God of the living. And we're grateful for all that you have done for us. Thank you for the promise and the power of the resurrection. And may each of us live our lives uh, in that power, following your example to lay down our lives and lay down our will for yours. May we all accept your gift of salvation to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The family would like for me to pass on their thanks to uh, the folks who are involved here, the congregation who provided the meals and uh, served them. I guess on behalf of all those people, you're quite welcome. It's our privilege, um, and we're honored to do that. It's been made pretty clear to me that Miriam did not want us to talk about her today. Um, she didn't want the day to be about her. She didn't want a lot of fuss. She did not aspire to be, uh, did not aspire to celebrity status. She probably was very surprised a few days ago when she passed from death to life. Can you imagine her face when she entered the presence of Jesus, all the fuss and celebration over her? And I'm sure she was very surprised that she was so cared for, so loved, so appreciated, and so redeemed from this uh, world of, of sin, her body. We're grateful for all that God has provided for us. You've probably heard Benjamin Franklin's famous quote, in this world, nothing is uncertain except death and taxes. Well, Miriam passed away on April 15th the day historically where the taxes are due. I'm reminded of a spiritual tax, sin tax, the penalty for sin. You know, that penalty must be paid, and we all are sin. The Bible points out in the book of Romans that I am immeasurably sinful. If you are immeasurably sinful, there's nothing that you can do to pay for that immeasurable sin. But in Ephesians 2, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches 
in kindness, I'm sorry, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm so grateful at a time like this that our sin debt has been taken care of. Our debt has been canceled, and we are righteous through the power of the blood of Christ. I'm going to read a song and a few more verses. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. Word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain, one day they nailed him to die on a tree, suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sin, my redeemer is he. Hands that healed nations stretched out on a tree, and he took the nails for me. One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glories will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved, my beloved one bringing, my Savior, Jesus, is mine. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, O glorious day. Amen. Well, I believe that Miriam has experienced that glorious day, and we here are left to look forward to that and to be jealous of her and where she is. Praise the Lord. I'd like to read yet Ephesians chapter 1. At the end of this chapter, Paul closes it with a prayer. Let me begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who, walk, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the, were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now at the end here, I know that Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus, but it's not difficult for me to imagine that perhaps even now Miriam is saying a prayer similar to this in the presence of God Almighty. And I think she's saying this prayer for her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. So let me just, let's bow our heads, and I want to pray this blessing on the family here today. Continuing to read in Ephesians, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. At this time, we're going to have uh, several congregational songs followed uh, by a sermon by Nate Thang, who is one of the pastors here at Weavertown. After the sermon, the family is prepared to share a few memories and read some scripture. And then we'll close the service uh, by reading the obituary. And then we'll have a final viewing and we'll move outside for the burial service. So at this time, Lavelle, we're ready for the songs. The two songs that were requested are How Beautiful Heaven Must Be and Sing the Wondrous Love of Jesus. Sing the Wondrous Love of Jesus is in the hymn book, so we'll sing that one first, number 986. 986.
Theology, I think we know it well enough. We'll sing it by memory. Uh, it has four verses. The first one starts with, we read of a place that's called heaven. Verse 2, in heaven no drooping or pining. Verse 3 starts with pure waters of life that are flowing. And verse 4 is the angels so sweetly are singing. We read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the pure and the free. These truths of God's word he has given. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet To the Stoltzfus family, we are gathered here as your friends, your family, your church family, your relatives, to share these sacred moments with you. This morning, we are treading on holy ground. God is here. His presence is here. And we acknowledge the pain and the heartache that you feel, and we're here to share that with you to the limited degree to which we were able. 
But along with that pain, there is something hallowed and precious about the completion of one's journey here on earth and the laying aside of this earthly tent, a house that is not made with hands, in exchange for a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I also give you regards on behalf of Dave Stoltzfus. It was very obvious that his desire was to be here, but he is having coordination meetings out of the area this weekend, so thank you for your understanding in that and accepting a substitute to stand here in his place. Death. To many, that word is synonymous with defeat, despair, hopelessness, gloom, failure, and loss. Sometimes when a person dies, we hear people say that they lost the battle. Some say it's the end. Some say it's all over. This morning, I would like to present death from a different perspective. It is not losing the battle. It is completing the battle. Sometimes we hear people refer to a funeral service or a memorial service as a celebration of a person's life. And I'm okay with that expression. It's fine to celebrate a person's life. I think it's good to remember their contributions, their accomplishments. But this morning, I asked the question, can we do more than that? Can we do more than celebrate Miriam's life? Can we actually commemorate her death? Paul wrote to the Corinthians that death is swallowed up in victory. That is a cause for joy. David, in Psalm 23, said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over with joy, with blessing. Surely or certainly, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that not cause for joy? And John wrote, we know that we have passed from death onto life. So I think it is good for us to commemorate this victory. I'm not denying that funerals are sad times, that they can be difficult times. I'm not denying that they bring tears. And when the tears come, let them flow. That is fine. But I was blessed last evening as I met with, with you as a family here to hear your testimonies of joy and the testimonies of, of gladness that your mother could go on to her reward. One of you made the comment to me, I would not want to bring her back. In fact, I'm looking forward to going and joining her. Death is victory. Death is commemoration. 
And certainly as believers, we have a lot to look forward to. Miriam has attained something that we have not yet attained. So in that sense, I'd like to look at her this morning as being one step ahead of us. Not being defeated, not being fallen, but being one step ahead of us. Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, shared these words. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul says, I have finished my course. He is describing the Christian life as a race. And this morning, at this point, Miriam has completed her race in victory. She is victorious while we are still persevering in the journey. As a, an illustration for the sermon this morning, I enjoy mountains and I enjoy climbing mountains. I lived in Romania for a number of years and where we lived there was a particular mountain several hours away that I really wanted to climb. And eventually I succeeded at climbing that mountain. And some years after that, or sometime after that, John had visited Romania a number of times and he was there visiting Romania and we were traveling uh, through the country and we passed by within sight of that mountain peak and I commented to John that I climbed that mountain. I don't know if you remember that conversation or not, but I still remember John's response. He took one look at that mountain and he looked at me and he said, what in the world made you do that? He said, there's not one cell in my body that wishes to climb that mountain. Well, let me tell you a little bit about that climb. I had tried it two times without succeeding because of the weather. And I was planning to make another attempt. And this time I was determined that I was not going to stop until I reached the top of that mountain. And there were a number of other people, some of our co-workers there, that knew of my intentions and were interested in joining me and wondered if they could go along. I said, well, I certainly don't mind under one condition. I want you to understand that I don't plan to stop until I reach the top. So if you don't want to reach the top, you're either going to have to turn back alone or wait until I return. So with that understanding, we left. We started climbing at daybreak, early in the morning, and for the first several hours, things went well. It was overcast, cloudy, but the weather was not too bad. And as we gained altitude, we got into some fresh snow. It was the middle of summer, but it was high enough we got into some snow. And then we hit the ceiling of clouds. Now, I'm not talking about a few puffy clouds. I'm talking about a solid layer of clouds. And we entered those clouds, and our visibility reduced to a few feet ahead of us. But we stuck to the path, and we kept on climbing. And our group was stretched out a bit on that path. We couldn't, see, we couldn't all see each other but we could hear each other. The ones ahead called back to those who were behind us. I was in the middle and I called back to those that were behind me, encouraged them to continue onward. And eventually as we were climbing through that gloom and through that fog, I heard a call 
From up ahead, I heard a yell. They had reached the summit. There was no place higher to go. They were at the peak. They should have had a 360 degree view, but all they could see was fog. There was really nothing to see, but they had reached the top. They were a few steps ahead, and they called back with those encouraging words. I still had a bit of my journey ahead of me, but soon we joined them in exhilaration. And as we were descending that mountain later, one of my friends told me, he said, thanks for encouraging us onward. He said, I was at the point where I would have given up and turned back. I was ready to go back. But you encouraged us onward, and now I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad we reached the top. That experience reminds me of, a, of something that I read in a, a devotional book, Streams in the Desert. You might be familiar with it. Something I read years ago. And it gave the analogy of climbing mountains and calling back to encourage each other. It said, life is a steep climb, and it does the heart good to have somebody call back and cheerily beckon us own up the high hill. We are all climbers together and we must help one another. This mountain, <coughs> this mountain climbing is serious business, but glorious. It takes strength and steady step to find the summits. <coughs> and then there was a poem that I'd like to uh, share with you. If you have gone a little way ahead of me, Call back. Twill cheer my heart and help my feet along the stormy track. And if perchance face light is dim because the oil is low, your call will guide my lagging course as wearily I go. Call back and tell me that he went with you into the storm. Call back and say he kept you when the forest's roots were torn. That when the heavens thundered, and the earthquake shook the hill. He bore you up and held you where the very air was still. O oh friend, call back and tell me, for I cannot see your face. They say it glows with triumph and your feet bound in the race. But there are mists between us and my spirit eyes are dim. And I cannot see the glory, though I long for word of him. <coughs> But if you say he heard you when your prayer was but a cry, and if you say he saw you through the nights in darkened sky, if you have gone a little way ahead, O oh friend, call back. Twill cheer my heart and help my feet along the stormy track. Perhaps this morning you feel like you're walking through the fog and the journey is difficult. Jonathan, Miriam is one step ahead of you. And I think her message to you today is, don't give up. Keep climbing. Meet me at the top. I'm here waiting for you. She is one step ahead. To the brothers and sisters, mom is one step ahead. Sometimes in your home when you were growing up, it may have been difficult for her to stay ahead of you. 
I'm sure it wasn't easy raising 11 children, caring for them. There were likely days that in spite of her best efforts, the floors were dirty, there were piles of laundry, the sink was full of dirty dishes, and all the food disappeared just as soon as she had it prepared. But today, she is one step ahead. She left a legacy. She left an example. And her message today rings loud and clear. Don't quit. Keep climbing. Continue on. Even when there's not one cell in your body that feels like moving on. Keep climbing. To the children and great-grandchildren. Grandma did not fall by the wayside. She didn't give up. She did not fail on her journey. This is not failure. This is victory. She reached the summit. She completed her climb. She is ahead of all of us, and she left a legacy for you to follow. <coughs> her message lives on, and may that message continue with you throughout your lives. As you continue your journey through life, remember that Grandma walked this way ahead of you. And may the message of her life continue to call back and ring in your ears and encourage you. And I'm confident that if you remain true and faithful, someday you will be able to say, thank you, you will be able to say, thank you, Grandma, for calling back. Thank you for the encouragement. I'm so glad I did not give up. <clears throat> Miriam's journey was not always an easy one. It was not easy for her to grow up during the Depression years as a young child. It was not easy for her to lose her father at the young age of 12. It was not easy for her to raise a large family, I'm sure. But she kept on climbing. She continued on. And as she climbed, she tried to smooth the pathway for those who followed. She showed compassion to those around her. She opened her home, serving others and welcoming guests. And she may be a step ahead of us, but today her message resounds clear, keep on climbing. <coughs> Your beloved wife and mother and grandmother is not the only one who walked a path ahead of you and has been calling back. There is another, and his name is Jesus. He too walked his journey. He too continued on to the summit in victory. And he is calling back to encourage us in our journey. He anticipated everything you would face, and he prepared the way from you. There's a course that says he came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, we lift your name on high. Jesus came from heaven to earth to walk the path ahead of us, to encourage us to prepare the way and to show us the way. Hebrews chapter 4 says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, what it's saying, we do have a priest who is touched 
with our feelings, who does understand because he walked this way. He was all points tempted like as we are. He walked away before us and he understands the path that you are walking. <coughs> he knows what it is <coughs> to grow up as a child because he grew up as a child. He walked away before us. He knows what it is to live as an adult, to face temptation, to face weariness and hunger and thirst. He knows what it is to face loneliness and the rejection of his friends, to walk the path alone. He knows how it feels to experience the death of someone he loved. He knows what it is to experience death himself. Because he walked this way. And today, Jesus is calling back to encourage us. What is Jesus saying as he is calling back to us? He is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if your journey is dark and difficult, and if you're surrounded by fog and you can't see the path more than a few feet ahead of you, if you feel like giving up and turning back and saying it's not worth it, if you feel like you're climbing alone, Jesus is ahead of you, and he's calling back. He says, I am the way. Keep climbing. Don't stop. Jesus is calling back. What else is he saying? He's saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He is the shepherd who walks before you to lead you. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We are here today because of death. But we are also here today because of life and life beyond death. Jesus carries us beyond death to life. Through him, we have the confidence of life. We have the confidence of eternal life. Your mother, your grandmother, our sister, had that confidence. And in the last week, she expressed that confidence. And she was looking forward to that confidence. Jesus comes that we might have life. He is ahead of us. When those women went to that tomb on that first Easter morning, they were discouraged. They were sad. And they had expectations. They expected to see a stone over the door. They expected that there would be a dead body. But Jesus was one step ahead of them. That stone was gone from the door. There was no dead body because Jesus was ahead of them. Jesus is calling back. He's saying, I am the bread of life. He is a means by which our life is sustained. When those 5,000 people, 5,000 plus, were gathered there by the seaside, the disciples expected to send them home hungry. But Jesus was one step ahead. And he sent them home filled. He had a plan. Jesus said, I am the door. 
That's what he's calling back to us. I am the door. By me, if any man will enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He says, behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus is calling back. He's calling back. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is calling back. He is saying, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. One of his disciples said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is what he is calling back. We talked about your mother being one step ahead of you and calling back. We talked about Jesus calling back to you as well. We talked about the example of this faithful one who has passed on before. Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter that is filled with examples of people who have passed on before, people who lived lives of faith, and people whose testimony calls back to us today. People like Enoch, like Noah, like Abraham, and Moses. Did you ever think about who the last person mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 is? Who is the very last person in Hebrews chapter 11? Do you know? Do you know that the last person mentioned is you? The last verse of Hebrews 11 says that they without us should not be made perfect. In other words, without us, the story is not complete. Now it is our turn to call back to those who are following us to carry on this legacy of victory. The story was not ended when Hebrews 11 was written. The story continues, and we are called to continue the example of living lives in faith. So Miriam has been calling back. Jesus has been calling back. Now it is our turn to continue the climb and to keep calling back to those who follow. I think... Miriam's desire was and would be that her children and her grandchildren continue the legacy of sacrificial service to others, a legacy of faithfulness to, to God and confidence in him. I read the verses from 2 Timothy chapter 4, where, Pete, where, where Paul says, I have fought a good fight I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. These words were in the last letter that Paul penned before his death. 
And this letter is filled with other words of encouragement. And I think many of the words of encouragement are words that your mother would echo to you as she encourages you to continue on so that you can call back to those behind you. I'm going to close with highlighting several more verses from Paul's letter, his final letter to Timothy, his letter of encouragement. And I'd like to consider these as your mother, your grandmother, our sister's words of encouragement that she would echo to us to continue on that we may call back to those who are following. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Paul speaking to Timothy says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I'd like to take that verse and put it into our setting. And instead of Paul speaking to Timothy, consider it as your mother and grandmother speaking to you. Thou therefore, my children, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me, Miriam, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to my grandchildren who shall be able to teach others, my great-grandchildren also. Keep the legacy alive. Keep the generations moving. Some more words. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And I think the words of Paul to Timothy would be the heart's desire of your mother. Now, do thy diligence to come unto me. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Well, in response to that, we should probably be asking ourselves, I should probably be asking myself, how are my spiritual ears? Can we hear Miriam saying, can we hear Christ saying, calling back and saying, and giving encouragement on the way? Maybe we should ask ourselves, maybe I should ask myself, how's my spiritual mouth? Am I faithfully calling back to those who might be a step behind and saying, in the strength of the Lord, you can. You can continue. You can faithfully serve him. Thank you. We're ready now to have a few of the family give some memories. And so I think maybe son Alf and grandson Marlon are going to be doing that. So. 
Alf, if you want to come forward, and then Marlon. She's home. Uh, a few days ago, I was back home in Tennessee, and I, of course, mom was never far from my mind. I was praying for her, and I sat in my office one afternoon, and Wednesday afternoon, and frequently I am prone to just write poetry. Uh, so I wrote a poem about mom that is from my heart. And it's, in the past few years I had become to call her mom, mama. And I think it's partially because my children call their mother mama. And she became mama to me. So I wrote her a poem and it's, Mama, tell me the story of you. Has the journey been good and long? What does it tell that is true? I know from seeing you now you are strong. Tell me the stories from childhood. Tell me of the days long ago. The sweetest of days, if you could, for those are the ones I long to know. Would you love to be young and free? Could you go back and do it once more? Or are you content, Mama? Is that the key? I'll ask you, Mama, when I reach heaven's shore. Can you recall the laughter and love? It echoed the halls of our home. I'm sorry, Mama, when push came to shove, but you still treated us as precious gems. Do you remember, Mama, how I love you? Can you still feel me holding your hand? My days with you will continue soon, but for now, rest on your celestial shores. I'll miss you each day, Mama dear, but my Jesus has given me peace. So for me, please don't shed a tear. I'll see you soon, and we will rest in sweet release. So off you go, Mama, to your rightful place of rest. So go high on that mountain and live free. Your eternal home awaits you. Thank you. Well, um, <clears throat> one of the first things I thought of yesterday when I turned on to Weavertown Road was uh, when, I was a, when I was in kindergarten, I went to Weavertown School right across the street. And um, mommy used to bring me to school. She brought me to school a lot because we had, there was four boys in five years and my mom was busy and so mommy helped out like she always helped everyone. Um, so one of the things that, um, one of the last things that she said to me in Florida uh, in February, um, just live for Jesus. And my faith, my faith is at a level it's never been. Um, so to go along with what 
he said, um, we should not look for the dead, or we should not look for the living among the dead. That's what um, the angel told She isn't here. She is, um, she is not here because she is living. So don't look for the living among the dead. Um, one of her favorite scriptures is Psalm 46. And <clears throat> I'm going to read that for you. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear. We will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy. To the city of our God, where she is. The sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. <clears throat> the nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of Heaven's armies. Is here. Among us. So. <clears throat> come and see the glorious works of the Lord. How he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the world. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. But be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of Heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. And then the last thing I'm going to read is um, Galatians 6, 9, and 10, because this was her. And this is what I try to do. So let's not, cut, not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we reach a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. So, never grow tired of doing good. And, and live your life for Jesus, because that's all that matters.
what she said this week. And my faith has never been stronger. Thank you, Alf, and thank you, Marlon. I'll be reading the obituary now and giving just a few announcements uh, before we, before Randy Stolzfus, the funeral director, will take charge of viewing Miriam's body one more time. After that, then, We'll be proceeding out to the graveyard and having the graveside service and committal there. And after that, there'll be a meal served in the basement and you are welcome to be here and stay for that. Um, we have plenty of food, I believe. Um, the folks have prepared lots. Um, so we hope to see you and for the chance to fellowship there. The obituary. Miriam M. Stolzfus, 93, a resident of the Quarryville Presbyterian Home, was called home by her Lord and Savior on Thursday, April 15, 2021. She was married 69 years to Jonathan D. Stolzfus. Born in New Holland, she was the daughter of the late Stephen, Stephen A. and Mary B. Glick Luntz. Miriam was a homemaker and a member of the Weavertown Amish Mennonite Church. She loved her family and enjoyed quilting and bird watching as hobbies. Surviving besides her husband are six sons. Amos W., husband of Marianne Stolzfus of Lancaster. Edwin L. Stolzfus of Runks. David P., husband of Karen Stolzfus of Whittier, North Carolina. Jonathan D. Jr., husband of Lydia Stolzfus of New Holland. Alpheus J., husband of Catherine Stolzfus of Nashville, Tennessee. And Vernon R., husband of Kimberly Stolzfus of Strasburg. Four daughters, Rebecca Ann, wife of Galen Miller of Bourbon, Indiana. Elma Grace Stolzfus of Runks, Esther Marie, wife of Wayne Wagler of Washington, Indiana, and Linda Beth, wife of Sanford Weaver of New Holland. 37 grandchildren, 46 great-grandchildren, and two sisters, Sadie Stolzfus of Leola, and Naomi, wife of Bob Seaborn of Sarasota, Florida. She was preceded in death by a daughter, Mary Louise Stolzfus, grandsons, Jonathan Stolzfus III and Joshua Stolzfus, and by siblings, Elam Alpheus, Ferris, Levi, Omer, and Reuben Luntz, Lydia Glick, Susie Byler, Barbara Fisher, Rebecca Miller, and Katie Luntz.